0: I'm Mark Elman of AsacredJourney.net. I'm a spiritual director, facilitator, and guide, and you're listening to Pilgrim Podcast, a show exploring spirituality and intention in travels and daily life, and what it means to live like a pilgrim at home and abroad. Looking for inspiration for the journey? This episode is brought to you by Journey Shop, where I sell handmade and designed resources to inspire your journeys at home and abroad. The Journey Shop is filled with tools for spiritual practice, including my popular liturgical wall calendar, wearable prayer beads, compass cues, reflection cards, and more. Your Journey Shop purchase helps support Pilgrim Podcast and the work of A Sacred Journey. Visit The Journey Shop at AsacredJourney.net. Welcome back to Pilgrim Podcast. Today, I am talking to Daniel Tidwell, who is a spiritual director and artist based in Seattle, Washington, and he also works with students and alumni at the Seattle School, which is where I met him originally, where I went to graduate school. He was my uh, assistant instructor. What's a TA, I guess, is what it originally was called. The AI feels like artificial intelligence or something, (laughs) so whichever you want to claim. Exactly, <laughs> and um, you can find his work at DanielCTidwell.com. I'll be sure to put that in the show notes. But uh, today, because June is Pride Month, uh, Daniel is going to share his coming out journey with us. So I'm so honored to have him um, share his journey and invite us to to be a part of his journey, and um, you know, assess our own journeys with with this topic as well. So
1: yeah, thank you.
0: Yeah.
1: It's fun to have this conversation with you.
0: Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. Well, um, let's start by sharing your spiritual journey. Um, and then I definitely want to weave it back into the story. Cause I, I know that, I mean, your I mean your spiritual journey is kind of your heart journey. And so both yeah. of these intertwine very much.
1: Yeah. So, um, I, uh, I would identify myself as um Christian and so I uh these days am part of the Episcopal church um in the United States and uh I I grew up in a very different Christian context. So um originally uh I'm from the deep south. Um I grew up in Alabama and Georgia and my family was um, a part of uh, Pentecostal churches there in the Deep South. And so in the Deep South, that means kind of a tradition out of um, like holiness Pentecostalism. Um, and so that was kind of the world I was born into. I kind of have talked about it as being like the genetic lottery. Um, <laughs> if I'd been born, you know, somewhere um in a different part of the world, I probably would have been a different religion <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but because this is this is where I was born and the family I was raised in and the culture I was raised in that I was um exposed to the christian faith and uh and so that was the language that I learned
0: yeah, well, and I know in the the south that particularly in the South religion is very much a cultural
1: totally, thing. yep. Yep. Yeah. So I have, um, you know, one set of my grandparents had been Methodist and then became Pentecostal. Um, and then, uh, my other grandparents were Southern Baptist. And so that sort of world of, uh, Christianity in the deep South is kind of the waters that I Mm -hmm. emerged from. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then I, you know, I, I was very active in church. My parents were, children and youth ministers, um, in the assemblies of God denomination, um, all through my childhood and adolescence. Um, and then I went to a, um, a Christian liberal arts, uh, university in Tennessee. And, uh, while know? I was there, I went to Lee University, Mm -hmm. um, which is a Church of God school, so another Pentecostal denomination. Oh,
0: It's such a big Um, world. I did not know.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so, uh, yeah, I went there, and while I was there, I had some amazing professors in both the English department and the theology department, Um, and I started just reading and learning about things and sort of, realized that the church didn't start in 1918. (laughs) Um, That's a like Pentecostal reference for those Uh who aren't in the know. Um, Uh And so, you know, I had a church history professor who made me memorize the Apostles' Creed. um, Mm. And I, for the first time in my life, learned about Lent. Um, Mm. And so these things that were like, oh, there's like, lots of different ways of even being christian mm. um that i just hadn't been exposed to before yeah. and so that kind of just opened up some doors and some imagination for me um and that led me to say like oh like i want to know more about this um and i decided i wanted to study theology in grad school and so um i had in the theology world, like of higher ed, you can kind of go like a fast route to get to a PhD, or you can go like the slow route, which is through an MDiv. Mm -hmm. Um, And the faculty that I had had who were like the most, like personally impactful in my life and who like showed that they cared the most had gone through this longer kind of formational process of getting an MDiv. And so I said, Oh, I want that. And then I, decided to go across the country to yeah. Seattle well, what <laughs> to do that tra-
0: transition.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so it was like complete culture shock.
0: Yeah. The place. And I imagine to the academic environment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And by that time I had become involved while I was in college in like a kind of interdenominational community based church. It mm-hmm. wasn't strictly in like the denominational Pentecostal tradition I grew up in. Um, so I was like, I was exploring more sort of theologically, but I was also exploring more in church settings in my community. Um, and then when I got out to Seattle, I kind of took a little trek into like the United Methodist world, which was interesting. Cause that's like what my grandparents and my mother grew up before they mm. became Pentecostal. <laughs> and then, um, and then from there I did an internship in a Christian reformed church Uh, and then I stumbled into this Anglo Catholic Episcopal church, which for those who aren't familiar, that kind of means it's like all the high church smells and bells. So like Mm. singing liturgies and Mm
2: -hmm.
1: waving incense and lighting candles. And so it was a, a world that was this sort of very sensory experience of God in a church setting that was not completely unlike the very sensory experience of Pentecostal churches, but in a totally different aesthetic, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so there was something where it spoke to my soul in a really interesting way. And as I spent time there in that community, um, it really just began to make sense to me, that way of encountering God through the sacraments and liturgy um, and the community around those so that's kind mm-hmm. of the really fast overview of yeah. kind of my, my spiritual journey. Um, along the way, I think I would overall describe myself as um, kind of a a mystical Christian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and, and some of that has to do, I think, with my Pentecostal roots.
0: Yeah, that thread still seems to be there from there to mm-hmm. more a more contemplative
1: yep. path. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, so that's kind of always been the language of my own soul.
0: Yeah. Well, and I have so many questions, I mean, regarding oh, yeah. even just the story <laughs> that um you've shared. Um I'm trying to decide if I'm <laughs> discussing now or not. But I, I think just it, as our conversation unfolds, you know, so curious to know what it was like for you, um yeah. as a gay man going growing up in those worlds and through this process. Mm-hmm. And then two um, as someone in the church, because I mean, and those were the first words that you said whenever you, um, shared your spiritual journey was that you would call yourself a Christian.
1: Yeah. And, um,
0: I know so often, um, the loudest voices in Christianity, um, can be quite fundamental. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) I always want to kind of say, but, (laughs) or (laughs) kind of come through the back door. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah but I think that our conversation will lead us to those places too
1: yeah yeah um yeah I was just as you were saying that I was like yeah like I was almost literally born in the church like <laughs> I was born at the end of November and then played baby Jesus in the Christmas play Perfect timing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the church plays large in my story of coming mm-hmm. out, right?
0: And, and and your vocation too. Yeah. Not exactly. only like your faith.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: in your formative world, but your vocation as well.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Yeah.
0: Well, take us on on that journey um kind of parallel to your yeah. faith journey. Um, yeah. Yeah. About the culture you grew up in and how it interacted with homosexuality and mm-hmm. maybe how you first encountered this. And I, and I know too, that we're in a very different time now, you you're not only are you in Seattle and not in Alabama oh, like, anymore, but a very different time
1: than yeah, when you were growing yeah. up too. So, um, yeah. So like growing up, uh, until I was about seven years old, we lived in Huntsville, Alabama. Um, and, uh, I would say I, I didn't have a concept of like, homosexual or being gay until maybe like nine or ten. But I remember as a small child being like five, I played um, soccer and baseball in like the community leagues, whatever. And there was this kid named Ryan on my soccer team. And he just had the best hair in the world <laughs> and I loved this guy's hair and I don't know, like looking back, I'm like, Oh, like, I think I had some sort of a crush on him, but mm. I didn't have any concept around any of that. Yeah. Right. Cause I'm just a little uh-huh. kid, but it's like this very early on, like notion of like, Oh, there's something I really like there. Yeah. You're um, drawn in,
0: in some way.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, I remember, you know, as a kid, like, grandparents, like, teasing, like, when are you going to get a girlfriend? Or like, she's cute, or things like that. And Mm -hmm. it not really, like, making sense to me.
0: Mm. Uh (laughs) Like, it wasn't really on your radar. It wasn't
1: on your to-do list. I I don't know what to do with that. Uh But then at some point, it's sort of, like, dawning on me that, like what I was drawn to was other guys. Mm. Um, and so that was like this like sort of disorienting like, oh, like just like the normative relationships of like everybody in my family. Like there was, there was no one in my extended family that I was aware of who was gay or lesbian mm-hmm. or anything besides just a, a straight couple or, you know, in that sort of a relationship. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't have like an image of that until, um, when I was seven, about turn eight years old, we moved to the suburbs of Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and when we moved there, um, I remember there being like, we, It's like when you're a kid and you're like, okay, you can ride your bike from that person's mailbox down to that person's (laughs) Uh mailbox, right? (laughs) And it's like, here's like your territory of where you Uh can go. And on our street, like we were allowed to like go partway up this hill uh, in one direction. And then it just sort of ended in a cul-de-sac in the other direction. And like our instructions were like, you can't go all the way to the cul-de-sac. You need to stay away from the pink house down there where Mm. the two men live. Hmm. And over time, I came to realize, like, oh, those are gay people. (laughs) And in my parents, like, their understanding of things, like, that presented a danger to their kids.
2: Hmm.
0: What was that like for, yeah, that first exposure to be the message? Yeah, you haven't heard a message at all. Almost as you were describing before, I was thinking of, like, not able to locate yourself, but you know you're not... (laughs) Located yeah. in what people are talking about to this, like, danger or uh-huh. evil uh-huh. or. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. And so then, like, as I got to be, like, 9, 10, like, began to hear things about, like, AIDS. And, like, that's a thing. Mm-hmm. And it's associated with gay people. Um And then began to realize, like, things that would be said in church that like, oh, this is bad. But mm. it's not just bad, it's like really bad. Hmm. Um and so at some point around like somewhere in the like nine to eleven age, like realizing like, oh, like there's something really bad wrong with me. Yeah. It was this sense of um like I knew this thing about me that like, oh, I'm attracted to guys and that's not okay, but it's not just not okay. Like in the church world that I lived in, like that meant I was going to hell. Yeah. And so it was, there was just like no option. No option. was who you were.
0: And so that was what happened. Mm
1: hmm. Hmm. And so I remember, you know, starting somewhere around the time of like 10 or 11, uh, I began like praying every night, like, mm-hmm. God, please take this away from me. Like I didn't, I didn't have the words like yeah. attraction or desire or being gay. Yeah. It was this, this because I couldn't say it, you know? Yeah. Well, and um, this was
0: all on your own too, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. Like I didn't, I didn't tell anybody about Mm -hmm. this at all. Um, and so just like would pray every night, like, please don't send me to hell. Please take this away from me. Like make this go away. Um, and when you do that, like every night for years (laughs) through like your formative adolescent years, like that really gets in your head and shapes you. (laughs)
2: Um,
1: and so around the same period of time, like I'd say by the time I was about 13, like I was only sleeping five hours a night would be like a really good night's sleep for me. Wow. Um, I was Because you
0: were spending so much time.
1: There was just so much anxiety languished. and stress, right? Like if my parents who were like you know, there was, there was some pressure because my parents were children's ministers and youth ministers. And like, I was there in the church, like there was this pressure of like, oh, I need to be perfect to like, because my parents are ministers and this is like, I'm a reflection on them and all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the midst of that, of like, oh my goodness, like if anybody found out about this, this would just be the end of like my world that I know. Like, I don't know what's going to happen, but it would be really bad. Did Um, you have a
0: sense that, like, it wouldn't just ruin your life, but lives around you?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, my parents' ministry would be ruined. Like, And the culture we were in, it was like, when kids in, like, the church or something would get, like, if they were getting in trouble at school or things like that, like, they would get sent off to these, like, Boot camps or like mm-hmm. wilderness mm-hmm. sort of things to like get straightened out
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and I was aware of like like camps and programs and things that people got sent to to yeah. not be gay,
2: yeah
1: um these like conversion therapy kind of places, and it's like if my parents had known like I would have been to one of those things in a heartbeat, mm-hmm. right um and so there was just a lot of like shame and terror and that sort of stuff. Um, And then I remember, you know, I remember seeing on the news when Matthew Shepard was killed. Mm. Um, And I would have been, that would have been 98, I believe. And so it would have been, I would have been 13 years old when it happened. Um, And I remember just like, oh, that's what happens to people like me. Um, And it just being this, like, rock in my stomach. Um, And at that point, like, I began to be seriously depressed. Like, I already Mm. was, like, not sleeping and just, like, depression. Um, You can look at my face in pictures through those years Uh. and, like, my eyes are never smiling. Yeah. Mm. Um and it was at that point that i was like i was like oh no like i'm i'm this bad thing this like boogeyman that everybody's always like going on about as being terrible i'm that that
0: that's your life nobody
1: can find out in life mm-hmm. because
0: you've been praying praying it away
1: yeah yeah i've been like praying for years
0: <laughs> i mean i guess it sounds like um it turned you more like Violently inward towards yourself when it comes to your faith,
2: yeah,
1: yeah, and your I image mean, of
0: of God,
1: yeah. Um, and this is where it's sort of the strange thing of like growing up in the Pentecostal world, like I had this acute sense of God's presence, like the presence of the Holy Spirit with me. Mm. Um, mm. and
2: mm.
1: I came from a tradition where speaking in tongues was a part yeah. of prayer. Um, and to this day, like, I don't know exactly what to do with that, but I know that I had these authentic experiences of the presence of God while I was speaking in tongues. Hmm. Um, and I remember many times through those years where I felt like God was really far away. Um, I felt like I'd been begging God to help me and nothing was changing, but I could also feel the presence of the Holy Spirit with me, right? Mm,
0: but that <laughs> so it's like different yeah, than the, yeah. what you were hearing
1: from the pulpit. Yeah, and that these words that I had been praying that were kind of this echo of what I'd heard from the pulpit and what I was getting from my family and society of like, this is bad. Mm. um like those were the words that I was speaking in prayer. But when I would pray speaking in tongues, I was able to cry out and I wasn't using those words Hmm. that were like condemning me.
2: Hmm. Um, Hmm.
1: But I was able to like cry out in this lament kind of way and experience God's presence there. Yeah. Um, And that, is this thread that like carries me through some places where like our home, we had guns in our home, you know, Mm -hmm. the culture of the South, like Mm -hmm. we had guns in our home and I knew where the case was in my parents' closet. And I can remember going Mm -hmm. in there and opening up the gun case and and thinking about killing myself. Um, And I didn't. Um, And I didn't have, adults who were reaching out and helping me through that. And I didn't have people that I could talk to, um, about it, but I felt God's hand, God's Mm. presence Mm. somehow keeping me alive through that. Um, and as I look back at that, that feels so present. Mm. Um, and it's like, I don't need to make sense of like, theologically what does speaking in tongues mean or mm-hmm. anything like that, right? Or how do
0: you do it or this or that or whatever? Yeah, I can simply say uh-huh. like
1: I'm alive. Yeah. Right?
0: <laughs> it was your lifeline. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, it really was. Mm-hmm. Well um, and I, I
0: know I'm probably gonna get this wrong I think, but it's either <laughs> um, you know, when it's talking about the Holy Spirit in scripture or tongues or something, but um like that we will pray, you know, in size two Deep mm-hmm. for words, mm-hmm. or yeah, something like yeah. that, and it sounds like that's what was happening yeah. for you. That even yeah. though this over here was just leaving you so mm-hmm. worn out and um, lacking hope, that there was a vehicle for you to be able to be fully present, fully yourself. Yeah, when the world didn't allow it otherwise.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's kind of like my adolescent years. Um, And then from there, I think I began to realize, you know, so I was also homeschooled this entire time. So So I didn't very isolated. I was very isolated. Uh I didn't have access to like teachers that I could talk Mm -hmm. to or things like that. Like other adults in my life were other adults at church, but my parents were like ministers at church. So there's a sort of like strange relationship with other people there. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, I realized like my sister left for college, um, she's two years older than me and she left for college and I was like, I really need to get out of here. Mm. <laughs> um, there's, there's an and exit. so like I, I studied as much as I could and I got like a good enough score on the SAT that I would get a scholarship to go to college. Mm. Um, and I finished all of my courses so that I could be done by the time I was 16. And my parents said like, no, you can't go away to college at 16. You Ah. have to wait another year. (laughs) Um, but then at 17 I did. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was a sense of like, oh, I need to not be dependent on like financially dependent on my parents Mm -hmm. because like, I don't know what they're going to do if they ever find out about this again. And this. was it still <laughs>
0: at this point to you, it still was finding out that there was this bad thing about you versus um, yep. coming out yep. later in life. Yeah.
1: yeah. There's no sense of like positive identity here mm-hmm. for me at this no point. No context I, for it. It's No context like. for it at all, at all. Um, yeah. So then I went to this, um, Pentecostal liberal arts school and I was exposed to tons of things that I'd never been exposed to. Yeah. Like for many to hear that, it's like, Oh, what a narrow sort of place to be mm-hmm. like this enclave. Right. Mm-hmm. But for me it was like opening up my world. Yeah. Step um, by step. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, and while I was there, I had some people who were really helpful to me who helped me begin to explore um, that I had been sexually abused as a child,
2: mm.
1: and I realized, like, oh, there's a lot of work to do to heal around this that I've never done. Like, I had I had been abused by an older cousin when I was a, when I was a young child, mm. and, um, and in the process of doing some work around that, that was very helpful. Um, I was kind of handed this response because I began to talk to people and say, like, I realize, like, I'm attracted to guys and I don't know what to do with this, but I know it's this bad thing.
2: Mm.
1: And I was kind of told, like, oh, well, it's because you were sexually abused. Mm. That's why you felt this way all this Mm. time. And that's
0: kind of the message of, like, conversion therapy and stuff Uh like that, isn't it?
1: Uh-huh. It's like we can figure out the reason, mm. and now it's all going to be okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> you figured it out. <laughs> it's like we figured it out. You're going to deal with this, like, mm. healing that you need to do around the abuse, mm-hmm. and then it's going to sort itself out, and you're going to be fine, and you're going to be straight, and it's all going to be the way it's supposed to be, um, which was such a huge relief to me at the time, mm. because yeah. I'd just spent, like, a decade believing i was going to hell and now there's this like relief valve of like oh no it's okay this can go away hmm. um and so in that context of of kind of getting those messages i began um to date a woman mm-hmm. um and uh and she and i were dating in like our last 2 years of college and in the deep south, like that was like, you're not married before you graduate. Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> that that you
2: is to, time.
1: Like, 22, you need to be married and have uh-huh. seven babies. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and while you were dating her, I guess, were you always looking for something natural to arise?
1: Yeah, like, I'm I mean, showing like, up.
0: I'm naming these things. I'm doing the process. Like, what mm-hmm. is it happening? Yeah.
1: Now? Yeah. Well, so I think like, because I'd never, I'd never dated anyone yeah. before. So
0: you didn't have anything to measure it. Against. And I would
1: never had like, a sexual relationship with anybody. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, I'm dating this person. Like, we really connect really well. Like our personalities connect. Like we enjoy being around each Mm -hmm. other. I guess this is what this feels like. (laughs) Right. Like Mm -hmm. I don't have any other context for that. And it's like, she's really happy. I'm, I'm pretty happy here. Like Mm -hmm. this seems great. We can make it work. (laughs) And, and we genuinely loved each other. Mm -hmm. Like it was, it was a real connection that we had. Um, Did she
0: know of your struggles?
1: Yeah. And so like, I was just like, before we even started dating, like, I was really just honest with her and like laid everything out and said, like, here's my story. Mm -hmm. Like, I've been attracted to guys. And like, I realize it's part of this story of like, I was sexually abused. Mm -hmm. And this is something I've been working on. And now I feel like, you know, you're I'm being healed, and or, I'm ready yeah. to go mm-hmm. into this next step, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, like, she knew that going in, and like we talked about it regularly, um, but we both kind of believed, like, oh, now it's all going to change. Yeah,
0: and you're happy, and you're doing well. And
1: must yeah, be gone. and so like, must be good, right? <laughs> um, and so, so that's happening, and it's like, oh, like, okay, so I don't have to worry about that because I'm not that. Mm -hmm. I'm not gay. Mm -hmm. Um, See
0: this person next to me.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like clearly. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like in that process of while we were like going through our last year of school together, um, I was applying to grad school in Seattle. She was applying to do a teaching program in Japan (laughs) and we both got accepted to those things. Mm. Um, And we were like, well, what does this mean? Like, we do love each other. And like, everybody's saying this is the direction we're supposed to be going. Like, we're supposed to be getting married and building a life and doing these things. But we have these different opportunities in different places that are both like ways we want to be formed. And so we went and sat down with our pastors at the time. And we're like, what do we need to do and we're kind of encouraged, like, you should get married, you know. Um,
0: <laughs> Can't go to Japan and Seattle like right?
1: that. <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, like, it feels like it would be wrong to ask her to come to Seattle or me to go to Japan if we didn't have the commitment that we were getting married. Mm. Um, Like, to ask somebody to pick up and go around the world for the other one's opportunity mm. felt like no, like we need a commitment of some sort there. Yeah, And so we were like, well, like, I guess that means we're supposed to get married. Mm-hmm. And then we'll figure out like, which one of these things we're doing first, and then we'll do the other one. And okay. And so like, we got engaged, and we graduated. And that summer, we got married. And then that fall, we moved to Seattle, and I started grad school, and she started AmeriCorps. (laughs) Um, And it was this, like, whirlwind thing of, like, uh, you know, sort of both where our relationship was, but also where our culture and our families and our church were all telling us, hey, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Mm. And so we just kind of said, okay. Yeah. um, That that makes sense. That's what everybody does.
0: Yeah. Well, and then for the first time in your life you're far away from family and outside of that culture.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, while I had been in my undergrad and we were dating and all of that was happening, like I had sort of said like, Oh, I'm not gay. Those people over there are. Mm.
0: And to you, those people over there were still.
1: Well, I was having this shift, right? So, um, I had been sort of exploring things theologically and was like, yeah. "Oh, I don't know that I believe this is all quite as exclusive as mm-hmm. I thought it was, like growing up, like we were Pentecostals, and we were the only ones who were right. The Baptists <laughs> were definitely wrong, but they were probably <laughs> going to heaven because they were writing our Sunday school material, <laughs> but the Catholics were definitely out. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> even though that was like half my extended family was Catholic. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, like, it, and so at, I had been exposed to things. So I was like, oh, there's lots of different ways to be Christian. There's lots the of different, Bible like, to... yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I began to encounter, um, like, different people who were exposing me to the idea that, like, maybe God loves gay people and there's like not necessarily like all the things that I've been taught. And so I, I sort of got exposed to that a little bit. And then while I was in my senior year of college, um, there's a group called soul force, um, that did, uh, two years of these, uh, equality ride bus tours through Christian colleges and universities um, advocating for students at these places Mm. because they have these policies that exclude um, gay and lesbian students and same thing at at my college like one of the reasons I'm sure that it was not in the cards for me to come out while I was in college was I would have been kicked out of school like I knew people like a friend of my sister's Um, who she went to the same school who was kicked out of school Hmm. um, when it was found out that he was gay. Um, And so this bus tour comes to our town, um, to our college. There's this big like hullabaloo, like everybody's scared because oh I
0: bet those whispers (laughs) and,
2: uh
1: Um, and they come in this like big bus and they roll into town and like, Our administration is like, are we going to have them arrested if they come on campus or are we not? Some of the other colleges had had them arrested. Um, And so they came into our town and while they were there, they were staying at this hotel and someone from the town, not from the college, went and uh, and spray painted slurs on the side of their bus.
0: Like. From someone like, that lived in the like town,
1: homophobic slurs, mm-hmm. yeah, somebody mm-hmm. who lived in the town, and so when we found out about that the next morning, I and a couple of other uh students who were in the student leadership, like were like, "We can't like let that be the message here of yeah. like mm-hmm. like hatred in this way, like we don't know what to make of these people, but we also know that they shouldn't be treated badly." And so a group of us, like, went up to them. They were, like, not allowed to come into buildings on campus. And so we went up to the the group of folks who were there and said, like, can we come and help you, like, clean hmm. these slurs off of your bus? Hmm. And so a couple carloads of students, like, went over to their hotel. And, like, together we were cleaning these slurs off the side of their bus.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and after we did that, like, they invited us to pray with them. And they, like, hmm. said a prayer with us, and it's like, oh. Was like that, this, were you
0: surprised?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was just not something I was
0: You are supposed to pray with me. <laughs> right?
1: Yeah, and, like, in preparation for this visit, like, the campus had been, like, handing out, like, Exodus International literature and, like, focused on the family stuff about, like, love one out and, like, around, like, conversion and mm-hmm. things like that. Just um, so you're
0: well-equipped.
1: Yeah, yeah, just so we were well prepared. And this group of Christian, Hmm. gay and lesbian people were there and, like, invited us to, like, pray with them. And Hmm. it was like, oh, oh, this is not what I've been taught to expect. Gosh, yeah. Um, Yeah, and so it was just, it was this space opening up, but it was for these other people over there. Yeah, it's still not for me because mm-hmm. I'm not gay. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> obviously, so like, I'm still not. Like, I'm still terrified of that. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> but you can almost see like that breadcrumb dropped on the road on the journey, even through obviously through the prayer being some place of connection for you all of your uh, life, being prayed over like the first time ever totally, in totally. an open and affirming sense, and then. Mm-hmm. um I imagine through that scrubbing away the slurs, even though you might not have made the connection yeah. or felt it then yeah. that it was doing some healing work.
1: Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so by the time I came out to Seattle, came out, <laughs> <by the time laughs> I moved to Seattle, uh-huh. uh, and began, graduate school, um I had just gotten married, began graduate school, and was immediately in these classes with all these other people, and I found myself over that first year of grad school, um in places where we're talking about the church, and I find myself arguing in the classroom for inclusion hmm. of LGBT people in the hmm. church. Um, in these different conversations with other students and with professors and over time that by the end of that year, I remember laying in bed next to my wife and saying to her, I've been arguing and trying to find space for these other people, but I think that I'm trying to find space for me. Hmm. Hmm. Um and it was in that moment that I came out to myself and to her at the same time.
2: Yeah.
1: Hmm. Um it was the first time I'd said that out loud.
0: Yeah.
1: And it was this moment where I mean it it led into to many more conversations.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: But essentially it was like okay, like, this is, like, this is real, and this is a thing, and maybe I'm not straight. I just still didn't know what to call it yet. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but I knew that, like, this isn't something that I'm fighting. This isn't, like, this outside thing that's supposed to be taken away. This is who I am as a person. Hmm. Um... And neither of us really knew what to do with that. Um, We both just kind of said, like, oh, wow. Like, we're both in school at this point. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, like, life is already pretty overwhelming as we're, like, working full-time and in graduate school.
0: And you're married, so that's not, you know. Married. You don't really back out of that too quickly.
1: No. And, like, we still love each other. Mm -hmm. And so we're like, well, what do we do with this? Hmm. And so we really kind of prayed about it and like kept having a conversation for about three more years. What, Um,
0: what were your prayers?
1: Yeah, I think it was trying to understand like, what do we do with with this? Um, like what, what does it mean? Um, we began to read a lot and ask questions and, I remember um, we watched the documentary uh, for the Bible tells me so. Oh yeah, um,
0: which is a great one. I would. Recommend it is. It's many.
1: it's it's a it's a amazing resource for people to access. And I remember watching the story of Gene Robinson and his wife mm. and their family. And is he
0: the one that became the Episcopal
1: bishop? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. Yep and we were just trying to figure out like what does this mean you know what does it mean for us like we see this is a choice that this other couple made and we we learned about other people who had kids and who didn't have kids and do you stay together knowing that like there's this difference and sort of people talk about a mixed orientation marriage Mm. um Or do you divorce and go through like the pain and tragedy and trauma of that? Mm -hmm. Um, And so neither of us had an answer to that. Yeah. And so we both began to do individual therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, We both realized, like, oh, we kind of both need spaces where we can talk about this.
0: Yeah. And where your story can be.
1: Yeah. Where we can, for a moment, we can ask the questions we need to ask yeah. for ourselves mm-hmm. so that we can ask the questions we need to ask together.
0: Other, yeah. Well, and yeah. so you're saying this was kind of happening toward the first end of the first year of school. And I know I came to the school like three, probably three or four years after that. And mm-hmm. you were still married then. Yeah. yeah. Um And yeah. So, so this must have been a long process for you.
1: Mm -hmm. It was, it was. So from the time that I came out to the time that we decided to divorce was three years.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and during that time I slowly began to come out to some other people in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, some people that I worked with and went to school with, um, and my sister as well. Um, and in that time, like we we really were like we don't know like if we should stay together or if we should separate like what we don't know what's best for us. Um, and so we kind of at at the end we'd been married for about three and a half years, and we kind of went into this sort of concentrated time of trying to make a decision. Um, and we began to ask people around us to like be with, with us in prayer, mm. um, that we would have wisdom. And we were both asking this question of like, what do we both need to thrive and be alive? And yeah. part of us making the decision that we did, um, when we got married, we wrote our own vows to each other and we had made it a point, um, that, that more important than the marriage was like our relationship yeah. and,
2: hmm.
1: and that each of us as individuals were thriving in the relationship. Hmm. Um, and we'd kind of come out of this culture that kind of worships family or worships marriage.
0: The icon, almost.
1: The icon mm-hmm. of it, yeah, as more important than the people in it. Mm. And um, my my ex-spouse had been from a family where it was a very destructive marriage, where they stayed together for about 20 years longer than they should have, and yeah. it was really bad for the entire family, for the kids, for both people in the relationship. Um, it was abusive and it never should have kept going. And yet because of the culture and the particular kind of Christianity that that family was in, they stayed together because the marriage was the thing that was the most important. Mm. Um, and so we'd been really deliberate to say like the point of us being married is for us to both be fully who we're supposed to be mm. and who God wants us to be. Yeah. Um, and to bring
0: that out in the other.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And as we both were doing therapy and praying and had people praying with us, kind of came to the place of realizing like the the best way we can honor each other being who we're supposed to be is to let each other go. Mm. Um, that, to stay together like there there would be good things if we had stayed together Um, there would have been life that would have come and there also would have been a lot of death Mm. um, to us individually and and we could be in the world but there were also like to divorce was also a death yeah Um, and so we knew that we were choosing between a death and a death, but also mm. between life and life, and saying like we trust enough that God is out ahead of us either way we go with this. Yeah. this so term. this whole
0: process was spiritual,
1: yeah, you, even you know
0: from mm-hmm. day one, long before. Yeah,
1: yeah, mm-hmm. um, and so it's like it wasn't like you know I mean there's there are some people who are are in marriages who come out after having affairs or after like you know like 20 years in a marriage and then someone comes out or things like that like mm-hmm. this was like pretty early on we didn't have kids mm-hmm. nobody had an affair yeah. like it was this discernment process
0: yeah. well and it sounds like the grace of the environment you happened to be in yeah
1: yeah yeah um so many wonderful people around us who, who held us Mm. as we were both trying to just find our feet underneath us and all of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it was heartbreaking to decide that we needed to divorce and for me to, to ask for that. Um, and, uh, And so we took several months after deciding that to uh, work with a therapist and process, like, how do we end this together? That it's not just, like, we walk away, but, like, we actually need to end this well so that each of us can move into a process of grief Mm -hmm. and then into life beyond that.
0: Yeah, almost as well as it seems like you began it with those.
1: Mm-hmm. vows, Yeah, yeah. And so we actually had, um, we had a couple of friends who are ministers, uh, sit down with us and help us write a liturgy to mm-hmm. end our marriage. Wow! Um, and we had members of our church community and friends come together around us. And we had uh, a ceremony where we released each other from our mm. vows, um, and where we blessed each other as we ended the relationship, yeah. um, as, as husband and wife. And it was incredibly painful and it was also, um, a very sacred,
2: mm.
1: holy space that, that, allowed us to both then move into our different seasons of grief. And there were very different seasons.
2: Yeah.
1: Um for my ex-spouse, she was moving into this space of of loss.
2: Yeah.
1: Um and then needing to figure out, you know, what what does she need and move into. And for me, I was having that season of loss, but I was also having the season of for the first time in my life being allowed to come alive as yeah. a gay man and to begin to not just have this sort of notion of like, Oh, I'm attracted to men, but to then ask the identity questions of like, what does this mean about who I am and who am I as a child of God in mm-hmm. this?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so it, it was uh, very much a, a process of both death and resurrection happening at the same time. Yeah. Um and for her it was a much slower different process of that mm-hmm, um,
0: mm-hmm. a lot more disorientation before
2: yeah, the reorientation yeah, a lot can more. arise mhm mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. and so you know she has her own story to tell of of journey and things yeah. uh, a lot of pilgrimage involved for mm-hmm. her in in moving into that um process for herself yeah. um and for me yeah it was it was at the age of you know 26 beginning to like go through this sort of adolescent identity development again yeah. um you know and ask these questions about how my sexuality plays out in relationship and in my identity in ways that a lot of other people are working out in high school mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and so it was, it was a strange season. Yeah. And all uh, those
0: firsts, all those acting yeah, on crushes, all yeah. of those. hmm. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And so when you would have met me, yeah. uh, would have been, you entered school, uh, in the season that fall was when we were deciding, uh, to divorce. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and so, uh by kind of the spring of that first year that you were in school, Mm -hmm. um, that was when the divorce happened. Yeah. So then I came back uh, working in the classroom, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, in the fall, trying to figure out how do I, like I'm trying to figure out my own identity as an adult Christian gay man who's just divorced and this community's known me as being married to a woman. Hmm. Uh, and now I'm getting ready to come out to 300 students. <laughs> yeah. Because well, I mean,
0: not only, you know, for a lot of people, it is just a coming out story, which is a big mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. but you have <laughs> these two yeah, yeah. things all at once. And, you know, there's always a bit of a mystery around divorce that people don't want to ask about and uh, this and uh-huh, that. Uh-huh. And I imagine also, too, uh, I know you haven't mentioned your family. Yeah, beyond yeah. your sister as well.
1: Mm-hmm. This family you grew yeah, up with that yeah, I, I mean, you know,
0: saw marriage as an icon and yeah, um, was more fundamental in their their beliefs. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, when uh, so I I first told my parents that Jocelyn and I were getting a divorce.
0: That's that's what you decided to do. The step one.
1: Yeah. To kind um, of discern. And their immediate response was, "We're going to fly out there and help you fix this." Mm. And Jocelyn and I both had to be like, "No, no, this isn't something yeah. you're going to fix." <laughs> um, and I had to say to them, "Like, I'm not going to go into details about what's happening right now. I just need you to be my parents."
0: Yeah. So you wanted to guard um, yourself.
1: Yeah, and your Story uh, a bit like, longer. I was like, "I'm going through a divorce right yeah. now. Uh-huh. I don't need to deal with you around me being gay." <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so you know, I have the benefit of my sister filling me in that like my mom was like calling her like every day and being like, I think it's because Jocelyn doesn't cook enough. (laughs) I think, I think Daniel does most of the cooking and that's why they're getting a divorce. (laughs) And my sister being like, no mom, I don't think that's it.
2: Uh, You (laughs) can just throw throw in the towel,
1: you know, it
0: gets frustrating. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's like, no, actually Daniel really likes to cook.
0: (laughs) <laughs> what? Uh,
1: yeah. So Which is was, also
0: like not their, you know, their yeah. complementarian vision right. of family right. either, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, And so, so we got divorced in the spring and then I went, uh, I went out at the 4th of July to visit my, uh, my parents and... Um, and I asked my sister to come down. She was living in Tennessee at the time and my parents were in Georgia. So I asked her to come down and be there with me when I came out to my parents. Um, Mm. and so I came out to them and,
0: and it seems like it felt important for you to do it in, in person. It felt
1: really important to do it in person. And perhaps,
0: I don't know, even in that environment did that. Play into it as well, or it was just the more in person
1: thing I mean the in person thing, um yeah, I think i I knew that I needed to do a lot to care for myself around coming out to them, yeah, because I didn't know how they would react, but I knew that it wasn't going to be positive at yeah. least initially mm. um and so I had planned like I had several friends who lived in Atlanta. And so, like, I went to my parents, um, and I was staying at their house. But I had made plans with my friends so that, like, I could come. And with them. Yeah. yeah, and so I, I had, you know, been preparing. I had like books and resources uh-huh, that and dvd right a dvd uh-huh. and like all these things that like i i brought along with me as like, like things to help my parents in their process of understanding like where i was with my faith and like all these different things right cuz
0: yeah I, um, I guess that's like a question would be a question yeah. too
2: yeah
1: yeah so
0: often and i think you know tragically because for so long, long it it's been considered a black and white issue so many people when they do come out if they've grown up in the faith it means abandoning yeah
1: yeah faith. like um yeah and so uh i i came out to my parents and uh and it was very shocking for them and there was this initial conversation where my Dad was trying to argue the Bible with me and I was like, I'm not going to talk to you about the Bible right now. Mm-hmm. Like, I just need you to hear me. Mm-hmm. And like, I know you're going to need time to absorb this, but like, this is not for you to try to fix or argue away.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm just letting you know. Yeah. <laughs> this is who I am and where I am at. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was like a couple of hour kind of conversation. And I said, you know, I know you need time and space to absorb this. I'm going to go stay with my friends tonight and we can talk tomorrow and see how you're doing. If you'd like for me to come back over here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so I did that and then I proceeded to like go to my friends and like lay on their couch and cry. And, um, and they were very kind to me. Yeah. <laughs> It was, it was this emotionally exhausting experience. Was it when
0: you were with your parents too? Um, was it very emotional, you know, explicitly or were you trying to hold that
1: in? Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, was, I was trying to be, so I had felt like I had carried this secret about myself yeah. that all through my adolescence, I believe, was this dark, evil thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'd come to believe in my belovedness and that I'm a loved child of God and that this is not inherently evil. Mm. Um, And so for the first time, I was inviting my parents to see the sun that they actually have hmm. rather than the sun that they thought they had. Wow. Um, and so it was this incredibly vulnerable thing because I wanted them to see me and love me for who I am. Yeah. But I knew enough from having read and talked to other people to know that What they were experiencing in that moment was not an invitation to know their son, but they were experiencing it as a death.
0: Yeah, a dismantling of of
1: the son that they knew. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I knew that going into it, but it was still this just incredibly painful um, thing to to do. And I knew that.
0: Well, and it's not your responsibility to manage their
1: right Experience. yeah yeah like i i couldn't i i i couldn't take that away from them, like they needed to go through that process, yeah. mm-hmm. um if they were ever gonna actually know who I am as a person
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and so the next day, my mom called and said like I don't think your dad's ready to talk to you but I'd like you to come over Mm. and so I came over and my dad like the whole time I was there in July in Georgia stayed out (laughs) in the garage cleaning the garage that's
0: when you know he is he is going through (laughs) some things in his mind (laughs) Uh
1: uh-huh it's like he's like processing the only way he knows how Uh um and my mom sat at the at the kitchen table with me and she cried mm. and she was asking like she's like you work at like a Christian graduate school she's like How? are you going to like like uh-huh. are you have you told people there are you going to be able to keep your job and i was like yeah like i've told people there yeah. and i'm going to keep my job but like she didn't she didn't have any concept yeah. that there could be space in a Christian space for a gay man to exist.
0: Yeah. So this is not only on like a personal level, a familial level, but like a faith.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sh- yeah. You know,
0: shaking up, rocking the
1: boat. Uh-huh. too. Uh-huh. And so she's like, not only is it just like trying to process all this, but she's also scared for me. Yeah. Right. Because of the things that she's heard that she mm-hmm. associates like gay with, going to hell and gay with Mm -hmm. getting AIDS and Mm -hmm. getting kicked out of jobs and churches and like, like she's scared for me. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and for me to say like, no, like I'm in a community that loves me and supports me. And like, no, I'm, I'm still welcome in my church. Um, like, that was surprising information for her because Hmm. she just didn't know that that existed. She hasn't been in Mm -hmm. that
0: world, had that exposure.
1: Yeah, so that was, like, coming out to my parents. And then since then, you know, I've had the experience of, like, coming out almost every day since then, Hmm. right? Like, Hmm. uh, I, I... work in a school and so like every year like a class graduates and a new class comes in yeah uh, that
0: had just people automatically people assume
1: get to meet me right Are heterosexual
0: so, like, until they know otherwise
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. and so I kind of make it a point to like introduce myself mm-hmm.
0: and I know for you that meant starting to date you know
1: yeah he- yeah
0: facing your divorce and maybe Living into coming out to yourself each day Mm -hmm. and then, and then pursuing that life that you had pledged to Mm -hmm. pursue, that thriving, um, which means inviting others into your life.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was like a big scary thing to do, right? Because, like, not only like dating once you're out of college is hard, Mm -hmm. um, but like, this was, The first time I'd ever even considered dating a man, you know, and even though I kind of worked through like kind of spiritually what I believed, there's still the shame that's present. Yeah. um, Of like, oh, to act on these desires and to move towards this for myself, I have to walk up against all that shame that I'd kind of internalized into my body. And so there's a lot of anxiety in that process.
0: Yeah. Mm. And I guess it, it's interesting as I imagine what you're saying in your words of like coming out each day. I mean, it's, I guess, synonyms for that would be like accepting or affirming. Like mm-hmm. through all of this, you've got mm-hmm. to have this internal process of
1: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, revisiting and... and- and mm-hmm. there's no way I could have done it without a supportive church environment, yeah um a really good therapist that I was working with weekly, mm. and a group of close friends who were there with me to process with me that I could cry with, yeah, um, and a continued relationship with my ex spouse like yeah. that we we continued to be friends after. The divorce, you know, and continued to be for one another mm-hmm. um, in our own journeys,
2: mm-hmm.
1: cheering each other on from a bit further away.
0: Yeah. So very much. In a way, keeping your vows just mm-hmm. outside of the confines of marriage.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm. And now you're getting married.
1: Yeah, I know. So okay. fast forward, um...
0: <laughs> fast forward. I mean, pretty fast.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I we divorced in the spring of 2012. Yeah. And, um, and following that, you know, about a year later, I began to like tiptoe into dating. Yeah. Um, and, uh, had some, you know, anyone who's Dating over the age of twenty five can tell you that like y- you get a lot of bad first dates,
0: uh-huh. <laughs> especially in this internet
1: oh, age yeah, of dating. Yeah. Apps and, and so and... like internet age of like oh how do like I meet people? Yeah. well, and I think um, also
0: at least from my understanding too, not only were you beginning to date men, but it's a different dating culture.
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I wasn't. I wasn't interested in like. A sort of casual hookup sort of mm-hmm. things. I was like looking for a relationship. Yeah. Um and being um, a fairly like openly religious person mm-hmm. in the gay world and having religion degrees, like <laughs> theology degrees, like
2: that narrows the scene.
1: <laughs> a, it narrows the feel a lot of who's interested in you in return. And also like there were a few dates that I would have where I'd be like, this is quickly becoming like a therapy or hmm. like spiritual direction session. Where you and were I was here for a date. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just kind of like, oh, like realizing I need to be with somebody who has like gone through their own internal spiritual work yeah. to understand their faith and their sexuality together mm-hmm. in some of the ways that I'd been doing. Like, oh, I kind of need, I need a partner who has, like, can meet me yeah. in these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sort of the story of of how I got together with uh, Justin, my, uh, my fiancé, is that uh, – I had sent him a message on the stating site and didn't hear anything for three years.
0: Oh, yeah. I remember <laughs> you sharing this on Facebook, I think.
1: And he, was, he, he was living it. across the country at the time. And um, and so he just didn't even click the message uh-huh. to open it. um, Because he's like, this guy in Seattle, like, no, I don't want anything to do with that. <laughs> um, and so in the meantime, like he moved to uh like dc and was working there for a while and then he eventually moved to seattle and Mm -hmm. when he moved to seattle he was like okay like i'm just gonna like go online Uh and like see if there's anybody worth dating i'll give this like two weeks
2: yeah
1: and then i'm just gonna write it all off (laughs)
0: yeah and your message was still there
1: And my message was still there. Well, he saw my profile. Uh And the way he would tell it is I wasn't smiling in any of my pictures. And so (laughs) he didn't ever, like, click on my profile. But then finally one day he did. Uh And there was, like, one picture where I was smiling. And he's like, okay. Okay. So he goes to (laughs) message me. (laughs) And he goes to message me. And that's when he sees the message in his inbox from me. And he's like, oh, he just messaged me. And then he sees the date and realizes, oh, he messaged me three years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so then he messaged me back, and I was like, Yeah, I remember this person. Uh-huh. Let's get together. And well, and
0: like that three years ago was probably as you were, yeah. getting started in that scene. And so,
1: yeah, a seed planted, I mean, like,
0: and yet I'm sure those years were so formative for you.
1: Uh huh. Yeah, like back. we, I was not ready mm. to be in a relationship with him the three years earlier when yeah. I had like messaged, like, mm-hmm. no way. Um, And he wasn't in a place where he was ready either. Like we both had some life to live in the meantime. And so, you know, three dates later, uh, I told some friends, I know he has a choice in this, but, uh, as long as he agrees, I'm going to marry him. (laughs) Um, I didn't tell him that Uh for like nine months, um he would say that after three dates he decided I wasn't a creeper and so he was willing to keep dating me. <laughs>
2: That's good. You on so much. <laughs> but if you I know. told
1: him that Similar place. then I would have been a creeper. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um yeah. So uh so it was also, you know, we started dating and I think we'd been out like it was it was our second or third... No, we've been out two times. And uh, and I woke up on a Sunday morning and learned about Pulse mm. um, and the shooting there. And, uh, and I remember texting him and saying, like, you need to know that you're going to see this as soon as you, like, pick up your phone today.
0: Yeah.
1: And then... Uh, I remember going upstairs to my neighbors, who were some close friends of mine, and just weeping on their back porch. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: and uh, and it's it's been a strange thing to be in this relationship with him, uh, where i am I am loved and able to love him, and we're building this life together uh, in in a world where things like pulse happen. Right. Um, and it's, it's a strange thing to, to love in the face of that kind of adversity. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's been definitely its own. Like I talked earlier about the formative nature of praying that God don't send me to hell, please take this thing away. Mm There's a different kind of formation of, like, leaning into love and and growth and being with someone hmm. um, that is shaping me hmm. in this different way that contradicts those years of those kinds of messages that hmm. I lived with.
0: Yeah. And how, as you look back from those years to now... The, the classic spiritual direction question
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know where where was god in all of this what thread or threads yeah. do you do you see as part of your formation as part of your healing as mm-hmm. part of your voice and vocation even yeah your way of being in the world and what you have to mm-hmm. offer
1: yeah i think um I think God was very much there in the needing to cry out when I didn't have mm. anyone mm-hmm. I could speak to. Um, and God has been there as I've been finding my voice and finding how to put words to mm. what was bliss mm-hmm. in those years. Um, and God has been with me and leading me in creating space and like opening up compassion in me to be able to sit with other people who, whether it's around sexuality and sexual orientation, or if it's around other big life things like grief or discerning vocation or things like that to like, to be able to sit with people
2: Mm -hmm. and listen.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, There's, The sort of capacity that has been grown in me over time, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That, that God has been unfolding and that feels very real. Um, Mm. Yeah. Mm.
0: Mm. Well, and I know I said at the beginning that um, June is pride month.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And so on this end of the journey, this end of the story, especially as you consider um this journey to voicing, this journey to love, this journey um toward a wholeness of being. What does what does pride mean for you? And I guess I wanna end too I mean, I wish we could talk about this forever because I'd love to know <laughs> your thoughts on both. Um, and I'm sure the conversation could go on um, for much longer, but, um, what do you, you know, in light of pride and of where we are, where you are, um, and the LGBTQ community is, um, in the nation, in the church today, what do you hope for from allies? What do you hope for, for the church, from the church, Mm um, and for, or from people who I don't know how you'd say it. Aren't there yet or like mm-hmm. your family hadn't even had exposure or Yeah. Um yeah. Yeah, um
1: I think about
0: Oh, and sorry. I just want to insert to to the people who um maybe haven't come out yet, but
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: are hearing some of themselves in your story.
1: Mhm. I think about um the term pride and i think about my uh my grandparents from alabama Mm. and uh sort of turn of phrase from northern alabama of like well i'm proud to call you mine (laughs) (laughs) Mm. um and and i would say that sounds like the voice of god to me Mm. um Mm. that god Sees each of us and says, Oh, I am proud to call you mine.
2: Mm.
1: Whether that's folks who are trying to figure out, like, how do I make sense of this conversation? I don't believe that what this person's saying is true. I think that God is really clear on this in the Bible. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I think God is saying, Hey, you, I'm proud to call you mine. And I Mm -hmm. think to the person who's trying to figure out, like, wait, is this me who's trying to figure out how to come out? God is saying, I am proud to call you mine. And I think about the folks who are out um, and the folks who are allies and the churches out there that are doing work to create spaces uh, for dialogue between people who disagree on that and the churches that are wildly affirming that for each of these people, God is Mm -hmm. looking at us and saying, Oh, I am proud to call you mine. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so then if we're each God's children that God yeah. is proud of, then like what does it look like for us to believe in that kind of love for ourselves first?
0: Well, and that seems like what coming out was for you. Yeah, believing that message, and you know, for each of us on our own individual Mm -hmm. journeys, it'll play Mm -hmm. out in a different way. But we've all got those places.
1: Yep, we all have those places, and Mm. and the only way we learn to love each other
2: Mm.
1: is by receiving that divine love first, right? Mm. To believe that we are beloved, then we can look at one another in the places where we disagree or the places where we don't understand, Mm. and say like. I am loved and I know that God loves this person. So how do I listen?
0: Yeah. And you know that God is love
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and God yeah.
0: is where life is. And yeah. how do we start with that?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Instead of yeah. with the supports we so often lean on.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much Absolutely. for sharing yeah. your story, Daniel. It was truly a gift to um to hear it and uh, the wisdom that comes from it. I like to ask everyone a few questions, you know, along the theme of journey journeys and pilgrimage at the end. Yeah. So, um, I will ask them to you now. Okay. If you were going on a pilgrimage, where would mm-hmm. you want to go next?
1: Um, so the pilgrimage that I would want to take is, uh, I talked about the places that I've lived in the deep South mm-hmm. and all of those places are near or on a body of water. Yeah. Um, and you know, through like the miracle of like, google maps and earth and stuff uh i've like played around and like almost all of the water connects even if it's through like tiny little streams or things like that Mm. and so sort of if i could go on a pilgrimage that like i could set this up i would want to like do a canoe journey Mm. through these places that i've lived
2: Mm -hmm. um i I think there's
1: there's something with the water there that that uh speaks to me
0: yeah well and i imagine always going back to those lands and, and maybe you could even mm-hmm. tease out some meaning from like being on the water and the yeah. flow versus yeah. on the land, like that will forever be a pilgrimage for you. I'm um, not only mm-hmm. of returning, but of claiming yeah. or that those words that I am proud to call you mine mm-hmm. over that. Mm. When well, I know too, before we started recording when we were talking a bit about travel, you would mention um, that that the way you travel has changed mm-hmm. too, after you yeah. came
1: out. Yeah, definitely. It's um, it's one of those things where, like, you know, there there are parts of the world where it would not be safe for me to travel and be visibly
0: yeah
1: out as a gay man. Um, and there are places where I would like to go, and I have traveled in the United States, even where it was just uncomfortable, or I wasn't mm. sure how I'd be received and I think about one of the huge gifts that I've received along the way is like from people like Airbnb hosts or Mm -hmm. um from you know hosts homes in different places where people made it really clear that I was welcome for who I am um that like when I clicked on a listing and and they explicitly said you know that I would be welcome there that that was like there's there's a space and a generosity that I received in that.
0: Yeah. Mm. Mm. Well, and that speaks to another question I for you, but I'll I'll ask you this one first. Yeah. What uh, what journey are you on right now in your yeah, daily life? Yeah, right.
1: Right now in my daily life, the journey I am on is renovating a house. <laughs> <laughs> so Justin and I became home, homeowners.
0: Yeah, making a home.
1: Uh, in December. Mm. And so like, yeah, making a home and figuring out what does our home look like? Mm. Um, what kind of a place do we want it to be? And also like, things like, you know, fixing an outlet, or yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> putting on a new roof. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's, uh, it's always good when the spiritual questions can be connected to a bodily kind of practice. And for yeah. me, that that question of home is being realized. Yeah. in my body
0: and there's so many way. different yeah there's home home and then there's the practical aspects of home yeah too always an invitation mm-hmm. to um go deeper and to bring it up as well yeah yeah mm. so so the final question that i was referring to um and kind of has to maybe do with both of those answers um especially in regards to hospitality um mm-hmm. And and I'll ask it from my my perspective, um, since I'm the one interviewing you. <laughs> but I have a feeling um there are probably a lot of people in the audience as well, um that um share share my um perspective. And so I'm wondering what can we do? Um yeah. to provide more hospitality, um to be better allies, both maybe as individuals, as friends, or just fellow, you know, travelers, so to speak, Mm -hmm. but also, also the church, because I know that is a place that is important to you.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think about, uh, there's a relational aspect of like getting to know people and being curious about one another's stories, mm-hmm. um, that's really important, but I think it's also important not to overlook like the symbols, the mm. gestures that we can make that like really matter. Yeah. Um, I, I think about, uh, my, so the, the people who lived in, I lived in like a mother-in-law suite apartment and yeah. a family lived upstairs. And those are the folks that I referred to when the pulse shooting happened. Um, they, that year at, uh, pride, um, they, some of that family came out to the parade and were there, um, with me and with Justin and some other people at the parade. And then when I came home at the end of that day, they had gotten a pride flag and it was hanging on mm. the back porch mm. and I'd never put a flag out anywhere that I lived Mm -hmm. Um, it's kind of like this visible marker. That's like, okay, like here I am, you know, (laughs) and it's like this very bold, visible statement, but, Mm -hmm. but coming from them, it was like this declaration of Mm -hmm. like, you are loved, you know, and like Mm -hmm. to come back to my home and like my friends and Mm -hmm. my neighbors Mm -hmm. had like put this flag out on my behalf. Like that was this huge symbol. Mm -hmm. And I think about the church, um, that I was a part of was near the end of the Seattle parade route for Pride. And on the Sunday of Pride, after every service, people went outside and they wove rainbow colored ribbons into the fence that goes around the church's property Mm -hmm. um, to kind of declare to everybody uh, who is going through the neighborhood for the pride festivities like that this is a place that loves you and celebrates who you are
0: yeah those um, words again that
1: yeah they proud to call you mm-hmm. Are, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i think that there's there's that like figuring out like what is that gesture it doesn't necessarily have to be a big rainbow flag or <laughs> things like that but like just that kind of uh, uh honest like hey you're loved yeah. um makes a huge difference. Mhm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Certainly. Yeah. Well, Daniel, could you um offer us a benediction for this time? I know it's it's been a time of storytelling and and it has been sacred. Mhm. Um and so is undoubtedly deserving of a a benediction. Hopefully it's yeah. sacred for you in telling your story, and I, I know it's sacred for the rest of us in hearing it and um, bearing witness to it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, in this time I wanted to read um, a poem that I wrote during that season um, that I was uh, first coming out, and it was a poem for the Feast of um, St. Peter. Uh, so I'll read that. Let yourself be led where you do not want to go, fingers stained by scent of nets, toes wrinkled with decades of sea, taxes paid in coin from the mouth of carp. What other apostle is prepared to witness such divine profanity? Sheets slung low and full with hooves and claw and feathers. Would any of us know ourselves so well if the voice of heaven commanded, Call no thing unclean which I have made holy. Perhaps, like me, you believe you should say, Lord, this can never be. And before the cock crows a final time, you may be asked to deny your own division of crawfish and pigeon. Perhaps you will not know what to do, but go out upon the waters, throw in your line and wait to be overwhelmed with fishes. So when you crawl, hauling your catch through surf, unclothed, be ready for the animal question. Do you love who you say that I am?
0: Journeying with us today find episode notes and sign up to receive updates and a free pilgrim guide at a sacred slash podcast and subscribe to pilgrim podcasts through apple podcasts or your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a thing if you enjoyed this episode i'd be grateful if you would leave a review on itunes or the apple podcast app when you leave a review it helps other seekers just like you find pilgrim podcast to find out how to leave a review visit a sacred slash podcast I'll be back again next month with another conversation on practicing pilgrimage at home and abroad. Until then, blessings on the journey.